Our reading this morning comes from Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through to 19. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now, get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes... He could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias! Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me, so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptised, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Good morning. I'm so glad you could be here. Well, we can hear what God has to say to us, but we need him to make a difference in our hearts and our lives. So let's uh, ask him to do that. Let's pray to him now. And Lord Jesus Christ, you uh, are our teacher. And you are more than that, but not less than that. So please would you teach us now. And please would what you say, may may we inwardly digest it. For the glory of your name. Amen. It's entered our language, isn't it? 
Uh, Saul's Damascus Road experience is one of the most well-known parts of the New Testament. And you know today, when someone changes their mind or life in a big way, we might say they've had a Damascus Road moment. Or we might say they're having a midlife crisis, but you, you get what I'm saying. But is this incident teaching us something about big changes in our lives? Or perhaps about big changes God can make? Now, why is this here? Key to it is what Jesus says in verse 15. Jesus says, we'll take a look down, verse 15. This man, Saul, is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name. So this man is very important to the Lord Jesus. And if this man is very important to the Lord Jesus, this man is very important. And he ought to be very important to you. Let me just give a note about names. It's commonly thought that in this moment of conversion, Saul the persecutor became Paul the apostle. And that's a good narrative, but it's actually not the case. Like others in his day, he had two names, a Hebrew and a Greek name. Saul is his Hebrew name. Paul is his Greek name, both before and after his conversion. But what happens is this, uh, when he sets off on his journeys away from where Hebrew is spoken, and naturally enough, the writer of Acts begins referring to him by his Greek name, Paul. The key point, the key point of this is that, is that this man is God's man. Saul, Paul, is Jesus' chosen instrument. Like it's very important we grasp this, not least as we continue walking through the book of Acts. The point of, 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 of Acts is that Jesus Christ is growing his kingdom through his people sharing the message about him. And, and, and that growth is unstoppable. And then opposition will come, but gospel spread, it's, it's unstoppable. And so far in Acts, the gospel message, this good news of salvation in the Lord Jesus, has spread in Jerusalem, which was Jewish heartland. But we're now in a section where the gospel is broken out of Jerusalem. And from chapter 10, from the next chapter, we'll see this advance rapidly accelerate. Nothing can contain it. Like the tide coming in, nothing can stop it. Here's the thing, much of that advance will take place through the work of Paul. Jesus will be driving this work forward through his chosen instrument, Paul. So as we read Acts, it's enormously important we grasp that Paul is God's man. But it's also enormously important we grasp that Paul is God's man as we read Paul. Just flip to beyond Acts. You get to Romans. First... uh, Word of Romans, Paul. It was written by Paul to the church in Romans, in, in Rome. And Paul wrote letters, a number of them, that are preserved for us here in our Bibles. In the New Testament, we have well over 40,000 words written by Paul. Well, if Paul is the chosen instrument of the Lord of the universe, those words matter a great deal. More than the words of... Shakespeare or Tolstoy or Rowling or Beyonce or Bieber, you and I ought to listen to what Paul says and learn it, live by it. Now that's not always easy because uh, some of Paul's teaching is challenging. It's hard to hear. More than that, some people say we 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 sh- we shouldn't listen to him. You know that uh, maybe what he's taught was right for his time, but it's outdated now. Um, others say what he taught was just plain wrong. Yet the Lord Jesus smashes through all that. 
by saying, Paul is my man. What this means is that insofar as a person distances themselves from the Apostle Paul, so far they distance themselves from Jesus and from God. So let's allow Luke to tell us what we need to know about Saul. And he starts in the first nine verses by uh, showing us that Jesus appears to Saul. Jesus appears to Saul. And um, we've met Saul before. And on the surface, he could hardly be a less promising candidate to be an apostle of Jesus. Take a look back at the beginning of chapter 8. As Stephen is murdered for proclaiming Christ as Lord, we read, chapter 8, verse 1, Saul approved of their killing him. Look down to verse 3. Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. And uh, you have in your mind something like the miserable scene in Schindler's List, where the Warsaw ghetto is emptied out. The stormtroopers are pulling people out of their houses, lining them up in the streets, shooting them if there's any dissent. That's how the early Christians were being treated by Saul. Well, after that um, harrowing snapshot, um, Luke, in the rest of chapter 8, pans away to tell us about the gospel spreading amongst people in Samaria, but then he turns the focus back on Saul, and, and Saul is still at it. He's a man obsessed. Chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. So as naturally as you and I are breathing in and out, well, murderous threats were coming from Saul's mouth. You know, stop it or you'll die. If you don't shut up about Jesus, I'll kill you. But why? Saul is a Pharisee. That means he's part of the elite in Judaism. And it means he lived and taught that being right with God was dependent on obedience to rules and regulations from God. Followers of Jesus had discovered differently. They knew and they, they broadcast that being right with God is a free gift to all who turn to Jesus as Lord. Jesus alone is the way to God. That's a real threat to Saul. And he is obsessed with silencing it. So having rested as many as he could find in Jerusalem, uh, verse 1 goes on, he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. He's a man obsessed. Damascus is like 150 miles away. It's a week's travel. But he's like, I've arrested as many pe- Jesus people as I can in Jerusalem. Let me go to Damascus. Get them all there. Because we've got to nail this now. This must end. Jesus, however, had other plans for this fire-breathing Pharisee. Take a look at verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. I wonder what Paul had thought when he had heard the first Christians say that Jesus had risen from the dead. Probably that that it was entirely untrue and a dangerous thing to be saying. But now he meets Jesus. Or rather, Jesus meets with him because... All of this is Jesus' initiative. Jesus appears from a light from heaven. Jesus speaks to Saul. Jesus is Lord. Saul even calls him Lord. Who are you, Lord? But 
But nevertheless, Jesus allows himself to be persecuted. But it's not as if, you know, like in some kind of Hollywood moment, Jesus is kind of flat on the canvas. And he manages to rouse himself up despite being beaten. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden he kind of uh, regains his strength from somewhere. He has spinach or whatever it is. And uh, he gets back in the fight. No, Jesus is always in control. But he allows himself to be persecuted. And this is such a rebuke to Saul. It means that Saul has got things terribly, terribly wrong. Jesus is God. He is Lord of all. And these followers that Saul's been persecuting are Jesus' precious people. What a comfort this is, by the way, to Christians facing hostility for following Jesus today. Jesus identifies with them, with you, if that's you. And at the same time, Jesus has authority over the hostile people. Well, Jesus breaks in. He assumes control. This once powerful, murderous man is directed and enfeebled by Jesus. Verse 6. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. They'd heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. Um, no doubt there's a normal biblical metaphor. You know, you're spiritually blind, so you're physically blind. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So then the man trying to bring down Jesus' people has been brought down by Jesus. By the way, given all that the men with Saul experienced of all this. It was clearly not just that Saul had a private psychological experience or, or dream. It's not just that someone had slipped something into Saul's soup or Saul did it in the wrong, wrong kind of mushrooms. Now this was a physical appearance of the risen, ascended, glorified Jesus. And Saul seeing Jesus is very significant. Luke actually stresses again and again in Acts that Saul saw Jesus. You see it, take a look at verse 17. Ananias, halfway through, says, Jesus who appeared to you on the road. There's so many more in, in, in Acts. It, this is important that, that, that Saul saw Jesus because one of the key qualifications of an apostle, so it's a key to being one of the twelve with authority to speak of and for Jesus, was that that you'd seen the risen Jesus. And I guess that's why Saul's companions heard but didn't see Jesus, because they weren't actually being commissioned to be an apostle. Look, all in all, I hope this is growing our confidence that Saul is God's man. Where other conversions are recorded in Acts, there's a familiar pattern. The gospel is taught, there's a call to repentance of faith, followed by the baptism of those who believe. But, but there's no such pattern here. These details, this experience, they're unique in Acts. And that's exactly the point. As Saul viciously looks to take down Jesus' people, the Lord Jesus does something unique with Saul. He steps in. He appears to him. He appeals to him. He commands him. He blinds him. And then, graciously, remarkably, Jesus appoints him that's what we see in the rest of the passage. Jesus appoints Saul. With me at verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. 
the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. And you can imagine Ananias that morning. You know, he's just done his morning devotions. He's said his prayers, and he's, 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 well, in his prayers he's saying, "Here I am, Lord. Take me today. Use me. Do whatever you want." And not long later, to his surprise, it, well, the Lord, the Lord calls to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, "Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from." T- Tarsus named Saul for he is praying in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight and Ananias says you what hey just run this by me the, the, the persecutor that the one we've been dreading who's on his way with a task force to, to, to round up all the Christians he's in he's in the city and you've told him my name and you've told him I'm going to knock on his door thanks is sort of what he says Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Is there anyone else you'd like me to go to? But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And Ananias does go. In fact, look, as an encouragement to those of us who feel a bit useless, um, God uses this bloke, Ananias, who we haven't heard of till now and we won't hear of again, to commission the most significant Christian in history. Verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptised and after taking some food he regained his strength. And what a moment this is as the Christian persecutor becomes a Christian brother. More than that, he's become an apostle. Let's pause again on that phrase in verse 15. This man is my chosen instrument. And Luke uses this word chosen specifically. He uses it of the twelve apostles in chapter 6 of his gospel. He uses it of the eleven apostles in Acts chapter 1. And he uses it of the twelfth man Matthias when he's appointed as an apostle in Acts 1. A chosen one of Jesus. Then it's a chosen one to, 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 to carry, to, um, to proclaim my name. And the name of a person in the first century represented that person's character and teaching. God's name had been represented by the temple. His character, his revelation of himself was focused there. But that has changed. Saul was to carry the name of Jesus by preaching the gospel of Jesus. There's a woman who gave birth, who's called uh, Melissa Kavanagh, uh, in a lift. Um, so she was coming down uh, from the ninth floor, and apparently she couldn't go down the stairs too far on. And uh, so she was put in a lift, and the lift stopped halfway down, and she was uh, delivered in the lift. And uh, they named the little girl Ella, Elevator, uh, obviously. name that means something. The the name of Jesus stands for all he is, the Lord of all, the rescuer of all who turn to him. And Saul is to proclaim the name of Christ. That's his commissioning. So so once the name of 
of, 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 of God was in the temple, but now the name of God is, is lifted up through proclamation of the good news of Jesus. And then I will show, um, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Yeah, suffering was the mark of an apostle, because as a person carries the truth of Jesus, which is so unpalatable to this world. Uh, just as Jesus was persecuted, so too will the apostle Paul be. And so too will you and I be, as we do the same. So it is that verse 15 describes what's going to happen in the rest of the book. All of Acts, from chapter 13 right to the end, chapter 28, is taken up following Paul around the place. Three journeys, preaching Christ around the Mediterranean, and a final one to Rome. And suffering, just as Jesus says. And then when we turn to the 13 letters of the New Testament written by Paul, he always starts by reminding us that he is an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. He is one of the particular people who Jesus commissioned, through whom we have the New Testament. Here is Jesus, through his personal call, establishing Paul to be his chosen instrument, to be an apostle. And this is terribly important, because people often drive a wedge between Jesus and Paul. People innately um, put Paul's words on a lower rung than Jesus is. Or people look at Paul's teaching about, I don't know, God's anger or sex or men and women in mystery or, or predestination. And they say, well, I like Jesus, but I don't like Paul. I wonder if you've heard people say that or, or you said that yourself. They are two different people, but, but see here what Jesus says about him. Hong Kong has been in the news recently and uh, it's not so good, is it? But I expect some of you remember, you know, some of you oldies in the 90s, the sight of Chris Patton in the pouring rain, handing over to the Chinese Premier, you know, making, marking the end of uh, British rule uh, in Hong Kong. And that was a difficult period in itself. The handover took place when John Major was the Prime Minister. And apparently five years earlier, in 1992, at the Rio summit, Major took to one side the Chinese Premier, Li Peng, and he said this of Chris Patton. This is my closest personal and political friend in Britain. He's one of the leading politicians in my party and the country. There is no point in thinking you can slip bits of tissue paper between him and number 10. If you're talking to him, you're talking to me. And Luke's aim in recording this conversion and commission of Saul to become an apostle is to show you and me that this man really is God's man. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles, to their kings and to Israel, to Jews. So we cannot slip a piece of tissue paper between the teaching of Jesus and the teaching of the Apostle. If we're hearing from Paul, we're hearing from Jesus. It is true that Paul says things that are hard to hear, but, but so does Jesus and they do not contradict. Both Paul and Jesus teach that God is not like a cuddly Santa Claus, but is holy and to be feared. Both Jesus and Paul teach that humans aren't essentially good, but that we fall short of God's glory and deserve his wrath, all of us. Both Paul and Jesus teach that humans don't have then the natural ability to choose God, but that God must choose us and get to work on us if we're to know him. Both Paul and Jesus teach that all roads don't lead to God, but rather Jesus is the only way to God. Both Paul and Jesus teach... Uh, that marriage is, is, is just for one man and one woman, and that the right place for sex is in that relationship, and so on and so on. Now, furthermore, where Paul says something hard to hear, 
that Jesus doesn't explicitly teach on. Or we simply need to remember that Jesus endorses Paul. If we're hearing from Paul, we're hearing from Jesus. Which means that everything Paul says is right and true. And it is life-giving. Even the harder parts. It may not be at first sight, but it always is. But through the Apostle Paul, Jesus has brought freedom and eternal life to billions of people. And the same will happen for you if you listen to Paul and trust him and learn what he says and live by what he says. It's no wonder that uh, uh, John Piper, a godly author, um, recently wrote, wrote a book called 50 Reasons Why I Love the Apostle Paul. It comes down to who are you and I going to listen to in life? Who are we going to learn from? Is it going to be uh, Shakespeare or Austin or Tolstoy or Rowling or in culture Cardi B or Little Mix or Stephen Fry or The Rock or Ellen or Oprah or Russell Brand? Is it going to be just our mates around us, our, our friends on, 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 on Facebook or uh, whatever? We would be fools not to put Jesus' chosen instruments higher than anyone else, to accept and live by what they say ahead of anyone else. All included. In fact, do you, you realise how dangerous it is to distance yourself from the Apostle Paul? If someone disagrees with the Apostle Paul on some matter, or just distances themselves from some teaching of Paul's on some matter, and maybe you yourself do that, the question to ask is, did you know you're distancing yourself from Jesus? And that's so dangerous because only in the name of Jesus is forgiveness and full everlasting acceptance by God, as both Jesus and Paul will tell you. The point is then, just flick, flick through it with me now, the, 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 the pages that follow, really quick, to Acts, okay, there's, there's the rest of Acts, seeing and listening to Paul, then there's Paul's letters, Romans, and 1 and 2 uh, Corinthians, and then uh, Galatians, um, Hannah and I, my wife and I had a really good time walking through Galatians slowly these last month or so, uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, uh, 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 and uh, uh, maybe not Hebrews. Um, But uh, now and throughout your life, friends, listen to those words, these letters. Study them. Accept them as your authority. Along with the rest of the Bible, let Paul's words shape your life. And when you read a bit of Paul, you find tough, which you will. Remember those three words. My chosen instrument. Let's talk to the Lord Jesus now. Lord Jesus Christ, you are the hero of this episode. We praise you so much for breaking into Saul's life. For turning him around. What a remarkable conversion and for commissioning him and using him as your apostle. Thank you that we have so much of his life and his teaching recorded in the Bible. Please would we spend our lives, along with the rest of the Bible, studying the the life and teaching of Paul and, and, and learning from it. Letting him his ways, his words, 
be our authority. We pray this for your name's sake.